Hey, welcome to Happy Hour. If this is your first time tuning in, hello, my name is Jess Brohard. I'm an esports event host and a recovering alcoholic, so I am pretty outspoken about topics like mental health, so I decided to sort of combine those two aspects of my life into this podcast, where each episode I interview someone who works in esports and gaming, and I ask them about their career, their mental health, and how the two go hand in hand. This episode, I talked to Drifter, who you probably know from YouTube or Twitch. We got into his early days making stop motion animations, how to deal with hate on the internet, and so much more. I really appreciated how Drifter was so willing to get into some heavy topics, and he just has a really admirable attitude toward content creation and negativity, so enjoy. To get started, like I know you as probably like one of the OG Call of Duty YouTubers. You're absolutely huge. Um, when, you know, people ask you what you do, or I guess, how do you describe yourself? That has changed a lot over time. I used to say uh, gamer. I used to say YouTuber. More more often these days, streamer uh, makes more sense to people after the rise of Ninja and Dr. Disrespect. They understand mm -hmm. that better. The most appropriate term would probably be influencer, since I'm doing a lot of different things in different places. But um, I just try not to overthink it. I, I realize <laughs> the job that I have is very nebulous, ever-changing, and not guaranteed to be here tomorrow. So I'm just kind of along for the ride, and people can call it whatever they want. Yep. I'm sure over the years, how you've made your money has sort of changed here and there. Um, so then I guess, where, uh, what kind of content did you start off with, and how has that evolved over the years? Uh, the earliest content that I made was back in 2006. I was making stop motion animations. Oh, uh, yeah, it's, it's very it's interesting. old, old school stuff. Uh, as a kid, I always really liked telling stories. It's very dramatic and such. So when digital cameras and YouTube came out, I was experimenting with different things. Fancied myself a filmmaker at 14 years mm -hmm. old, you know, and eventually I was invited via a spam message on Xbox Live to join a recording session for a Halo machinima. And it was so bizarre. I had no idea what it was. I just had to find out. And I joined and I had people telling me I was a body actor and they were filming me. And I was like, what is this? And they just told yeah. me the link. And I started watching these old videos like Red versus Blue and RB and Chief where they would, you know, that's the Halo characters would walk around and bob their heads. And I got very much so into that because it was similar to traditional filmmaking except instead of having to spend $100,000 on a set, you've kind of got pre-made assets with the game. And we know that that was very popular for a while, but ultimately didn't last. And I made the transition into gaming, uh, gaming content primarily with guides. I had a, a scientific background and just sort of very quickly translated that into making stat-based guides. And since then, I've been riding the wave of chaos, changing my content to whatever the modern market wants to, to the best of my ability, while avoiding clickbait, because clickbait's awful. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it works for some people, but I'm glad that you have more of kind of a genuine approach. Uh, so that's really cool that you, from like a really young age, kind of knew what you wanted to do. Like, did you at ever and at any point kind of set on think like, man, I want to be a content creator, you know, I want to play games for a living? Or was that something that really just kind of happened? And then it's grown and evolved since then? Uh, I am much older than I appear to be. So those kind of things <laughs> did not exist at all when I was a kid. Uh, when I was a kid, I thought I wanted to be an actor or a rock star, and then I wanted to be an astronaut and a pilot, uh, but I couldn't do those. I actually did want to mm -hmm. be an astronaut, but I'm colorblind, so I'm not allowed to fly anything ever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and 
I always just kind of gravitated toward more extreme career paths, which led me to engineering because I thought that I could just like, I don't know, like make mechs and like really cool tech. Uh, but I eventually realized I would be doing like, I don't know, what's a good word for it? Stress analysis on the refrigerator door hinge for the next 10 years. And that would drive me crazy. Oh, yeah. That's that's really interesting. Do your does your audience know like how much do you talk about this kind of stuff? Like, does your audience know that you have this engineering background? Yes, it was the basis of my channel. And a lot of the stuff I do, I regrettably have to set myself up to at least appear to be a smart person or have some sort of credentials <laughs> or something like that. So it's it's my default, like, hey, guys, I've got a couple of college degrees in this. I've I've achieved something. But that's getting increasingly scary and something that I'm less willing to do because I haven't used very much of these degrees in the last 10 years. And it wasn't that just a couple of weeks ago, I saw a pretty simple, what would have been a simple engineering problem. And I realized I'd forgotten everything. I was like, oh, oh. God, I forgot what this symbol means. I, what is that? Uh, oh, my God, these units. And uh, it's getting increasingly obvious in videos where I try to uh, solve math problems with, with units and newtons and forces and stuff like that, that <laughs> I am extraordinarily rusty. So I think it may be mm. time to take a step back and avoid practical application in order to avoid embarrassing myself and just stick to the big picture facts. Well, that's the guy. That's so interesting. So um, I know you just said it's been like 10 years since you used that knowledge or whatever. So about how like how long were you were you working in an engineering field before you like made the switch to full time content creation? Uh, not a single day. I got oh. I got a degree in engineering. Uh, it was a bachelor's degree. I got a mechanical engineering degree. It took me five years to get because near the end, I was starting to get into business. I was starting to grow disillusioned with engineering because I realized I was going to most likely be what they would call a quant, which is a guy who sits in a little cubicle with his computer and runs analysis all day, which is kind of like the homework I was doing. And I realized that wasn't the future I wanted. So I transitioned over to the School of Business after graduating to pursue a master's in business administration with a pretty big specialty in marketing. And... That effectively broke my soul huh. uh, because my it was super easy. I mean, it was just like a walk in the park compared to undergrad engineering. But the a lot of the professors were grossly unethical, uh, mm. telling me to market products because I had to do like consulting and I did. I worked at a startup incubator and it was stuff like some guy, you know, those transition lenses for glasses. Mm -hmm. Some guy essentially invented one of those for cars so that it will get more tinted during the day and lighten up at night so you can see. The problem is it takes like three minutes to transition. So if you drive into a tunnel, you're literally blind for three minutes. Oh, yeah. And um, my professor, who was my advisor at the time, is just like, uh, what, let's just sell this in third world countries. They don't have standards. Oh, it doesn't no. matter. Wow. And I was like, but professor, that third world people in third world countries want to live too. And he's like, that's not our problem as marketers. Our problem is to distribute the product. And you know a lot of things like that, a lot of little things like that. And I realized I don't want to do business. I it was just heartless and awful. And I I noped out pretty fast. And I got very fortunate that that was about the time that I was discovering Machinima and YouTube and Call of Duty and gaming and all that stuff. It kind of gave me a surprising out. That's amazing. That's literally the dream. Because I have like so I have a, a somewhat similar story in that like I I went to school for computer science and I got my degree mm -hmm. and then I only had to work for one year actually using my degree before I was able to get into gaming and stuff. But I like I same thing. I, I was I was basically driven crazy by this like desk job that I hated. And for, fortunately for me, there was nothing none of that kind of unethical shady stuff going on. But that's really fascinating to hear about. So you were already 
creating a lot of content and everything while you were going to college? Yes, it, it mostly started when I was in, I might have started like one or two videos at the end of undergrad, but really graduate school is where it started. And I was working at my college, it was a Mississippi State University, and they have what they called Entrepreneurship Center. It was something that they set up in the College of Business. They kind of wanted it to be like a new MIT where the undergrads make businesses and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And I had worked with people there. I knew them really well. I was <laughs> broke as I could be. <laughs> and I BS my way into getting a job working there. And I might have been the worst employee that they ever had. I never did anything. I always had like, I had a fake spreadsheet. So when the boss would walk by, I'd like flip it over and I would just be like doing <laughs> fake work and stuff. <laughs> And then eventually these videos took off and they really took off like big time. They started growing. Uh, The reason I did so many videos is that I was going to get married uh, before graduating. And my wife is Chinese and she wanted a traditional Chinese wedding with all these dishes and and, and, uh, cakes and and various things that were expensive. But I realized videos is like X equals Y, more X equals more Y, which is more videos is more money. Mm -hmm. And it really took off. And at a point, I actually just kind of stopped going to work. (laughs) <laughs> and I was building props and cranes and filming things. And I looked up and I hadn't been to work in like a month. So I called my boss and I set up a meeting with him. It was college and summertime, so it was really slow. And I sat down to like sincerely apologize that I told him my business was doing great. It was making so much mo- more money that I hadn't even thought about my minimum wage job and that it was incredibly rude for me to just ghost and disrespectful because he gave me a job when I really needed it. And thank God, instead of being mad, this man said to me, good, it's about time. And I'm like, Aww. what? And he's like, I was expecting your business to pick up. And when you disappeared, I assumed you'd either moved away or you were doing something good. That is so cool. What a heartwarming story. Yep. That's amazing. Yep. <laughs> it's a good story. Uh, the only downside is what they wanted. I, I would continue to work with the university to grow the initial YouTube business. Even got a grant for some camera equipment. They were more traditionally minded. They were kind of hoping that what I would do is immediately incorporate and start taking on employees and expanding productions and make kind of a studio. Whereas we both know that the model for these type of businesses is really single individual and as low cost as possible on any production. That is, you are just dropping so, so much amazing like knowledge and advice because like one of the reasons I do this podcast, I mean, it's for a couple of reasons, but one of the reasons I do this podcast is for people who are looking to get into the game industry. And I think, you know, well, it can help them to hear from established individuals like yourself and, and maybe they can take something away from that. So what was, was there, and I know this is kind of a big question, but do you have advice for, cause I know there's tons of people out there that like want to be YouTubers and want to be streamers and want to do what you do. So it's a really big question, but what would be your advice for people like that? The advice that I give is uh, two pieces of advice. Number one is that I believe that people should do this for fun. I, 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 that was my path. I initially did these things for fun and becoming a successful streamer, content creator, influencer, TikToker, whatever there is a luck component and a reality that not everybody can be successful. Not everybody can be famous. It's kind of like that kid who says, I don't need to go to school. I'm going to play for the NBA. You know, well, obviously Mm -hmm. we know your odds are pretty rough, but good luck, man. And if you can't have fun doing this, then you're probably going to burn out way before you start making any money because for most people, it's a really slow start. So you need to just start out by making content that's fun for you and therefore will be something that you're passionate about. You'll be more motivated to work on and it'll really show through in the content. And the second big thing is that I feel that people really need to be able to step back and send their videos to others or be willing to accept some kind of criticism. 
because I see people making a lot of videos with um, weird aspect ratios, 40 second intros, the audio buzzes because there's a fan in the background. And I'll offer some advice about cleaning these things up. And they're like, nah, bro, it sounds fine to me. It's good. And I'm like, no, it's not good. You're competing with people that have million dollar setups. You got to really put some time in to polish your stuff. So as you do this for fun, you should try to you know, put a little craftsmanship in it. Try to improve from video to video. Try something new. Even if you fail miserably, you'll probably learn something along the way. Right. It's all about like constantly improving and iterating. And, you know, I think quality isn't, of course, everything. But at the same time, like you said, like you're competing with so many people. So like you you kind of need to be at the top of your game to even have a shot. And I always feel bad when people ask me for advice and such, because I kind of almost I never want to discourage anyone. But I am also glad that you kind of point out the reality of it's it is kind of slim chances you know it's a tough industry mm -hmm. to get into and just realistically not everyone's going to make it this episode is brought to you by cap 10 hats high quality dad hats that donate 10 percent of their profits to ocean cleaning efforts and now as we're heading into the colder months cap 10 is introducing new beanies in three colors to keep you warm for the winter and as a thank you to happy hour listeners you can use code HAPPY for 15% off your order. Go to cap10hats.ca, that's C-A-P-T-E-N hats.ca, and use code HAPPY, H-A-P-P-I, for 15% off your order. Once again, that's cap10hats.ca, and use code HAPPY for 15% off. Join the movement and help save our oceans. What ways have you seen the game industry in general change or even like the just kind of the space for, you know, creators and influencers? What are the big changes you've seen since you've been around for the last 10 or so years? Oh, that is the biggest question. Um, <laughs> not long before I got in, the games industry was very closed, kind of like the film industry. It was uh, E3 was the big party that nobody could go to because it was so exclusive. Mm -hmm. um, the big announcements would come through IGN and I don't even know if Kotaku was around. Nowadays, it's it's all of the media marketing and, and everything about gaming primarily runs through social media. There's very little traditional press, traditional advertising, traditional anything. When it comes time for a giant company to release a new game, the thing that they put the most money into is getting influencers out there to play it because they'll get more views on a video on, say, Courage's channel than they will from spending a million dollars to advertise elsewhere or putting together a tournament or something like that. So the entire industry has shifted to have gaming influencers be the focal point of every marketing campaign, every media message, just about everything. And also gaming has grown to be very, I think the right word is ubiquitous, ubiquitous. Oh, gosh, I'm bumbling my words here. But it's everywhere. It's gaming isn't the basement loser hobby. Gaming is any every everybody anywhere all the time, any gender, any race, any anything. So it's very widespread. So and as such a public facing person, as you know, one of these influencers who you have a lot of sway over a lot of people, you know, it can also go the other way. You can get a lot of pushback, you know, and, and it seems like especially with an audience as large as yours there's always going to be someone who's just like pissed off for no reason and takes it out on you. So do you often uh, feel like you encounter a lot of like negative reactions from fans or harassment or anything like that? Yes. An extraordinary amount. Um, this is, uh, we got a lot, we got, we could talk a lot about this. The, 
the psychology of outrage or even the psychographics mm -hmm. of outraged people where they live and how they interact. There's a lot in the gaming space. Mm -hmm. Even a long time ago when my channel was far less personable, where I was a very boring, dry, read the stats kind of guy, there were people that would be very upset and very hurt and very offended if I said a certain gun was bad for some kind of mathematical reason and people would tell me I'm wrong. And I'm like, well, the here's the math that like empirically proves what's going wrong here. And they just... It, it hurt them personally. There's an issue, I believe, in the first world where we don't have a lot of real enemies or real challenges or real adversity. So people need to kind of invent their own enemies. And oftentimes they can be celebrities or influencers online. And for a long time, I've ran my content as a person. This, this is going to sound like so 14 and I'm edgy, but I try to say what I believe is true and right and best, regardless of if it's popular or not, which is why there's a lot of philosophy and unfortunately these days, political videos on my channel. And that can be extraordinarily costly because there are a lot of fans that do not want to hear that. Uh, I actually uploaded a video ranting about being frustrated at being home in quarantine because of coronavirus, because so few people did the little mask mandates and social distancing, it's only getting worse. And uploading that video so far has lost me 3,000 subscribers and gotten a, a colossal amount of hate and downturn on the video, even though I viewed it as the right thing to do. And then finally, uh, something that I'm, I think we talked about this just beforehand. Um, some of this does bleed over into real life. Some of my real life opinions have led to me getting harassed, stalked, threatened and uh, attempts at violence in, in real life that uh, this particular year got quite ugly and some people got arrested and got felonies. And it's not a topic that I can talk about a lot because there's ongoing court cases, but there are, mm, there are communities online that exist just to be angry and people that are so angry, they feed off of each other's anger and they kind of encourage that and build that up. And it can build into a really nasty ball and stick to any random person, any face out there, any influencer. And it's, it's a horrible situation because the people end up being very disconnected from reality. I'm ranting. I'm going to slow down now. This is so good. No, seriously. Like that was so amazing. Cause like every, like, yeah, you said some really, really, really fantastic stuff. Let me, let me bounce back to kind of a few of those points then. Okay. Um, so, cause I know, I know like golden boy is someone who I see tweeting a lot about people kind of pushing back at him and going, oh, why are you getting so political? And it's not, I mean, I think he's just one of the more vocal examples I've seen. I've seen a lot of uh, influencers getting a lot of pushback about tweeting about politics and a lot of their uh, followers are saying, you know, stay out of politics. You don't know what you're talking about and stuff like that. How do you, um, you know, and, and and I know even though wearing, <laughs> wearing masks should not be an inherently political thing, come on, yeah. but it is, you know, it is, has become highly politicized in our country. So how do you respond both like outwardly to these people saying, you know, don't get political and then internally, how are you reacting when you're, you know, losing 3000 subscribers, you're, you know, potentially losing income off of this uh, not potentially, definitely. Thanks to YouTube well, analytics, I know exactly how much it costs. <laughs> um, the, a couple of answers. Over time, I've usually said that I speak my opinion about this because it's, it's my right as a free citizen of the United States to do so, to have an opinion and express it publicly. And that since I am in a position of influence as an influencer, somebody with followers, that it perhaps might be even more paramount or more important that I express an opinion about issues that are important to me. And 
that response has usually not gone over very well with many people. Uh, I, I've been very clear that if it, even if it costs me a million followers, I'm going to do what I believe is the right thing to do. But more recently, people have been, you know, stay in your lane, stay out of politics. And there's a good argument for that in that politics is so widespread and so unavoidable this year that it's really painful for people to try to escape that for just a minute to come to the gaming space and relax and just be hit by it again. And the only answer I can offer them is that this particular year, it's far more important than ever. And that unfortunately, due to polarization, every single stupid topic on the planet is political. It's not just masks. There's like some basic scientific ones in a lot of different fields. Certain brands are picking sides. So depending on what clothes you like or what shows you watch or what food you eat, that can be political. It, it, it's, it's getting quite games as well. Games can get very political. So it's getting extremely difficult to avoid in any way. Do you think that you have had a, or I guess, let me, let me rephrase this. Cause I'm sure you have, you know, for, for all the, you know, followers you're losing or all the negative um, pushback you get, it's, it's absolutely true. I'm sure you have done some good and, um, you know, hopefully maybe convinced a few people sort of over to, all right, you know, wear a mask, care about others oh, yeah. kind of thing. Like, have you been able to see that tangible impact? Absolutely. Uh, that's that's one of the best things I have been able to help people. The The majority of my channel is not telling people how to think or what's right for wrong. I, I try to make a lot of videos about uh, philosophy, logical puzzles and like critical thinking skills and little like sunk cost fallacy stuff to avoid. And some people have really latched onto that. I've received a great number of messages over the years of fans that uh, said that I was the reason they wanted to get into higher education, that I helped them more via videos than via school, or that they found me a positive influence in their life. I've had a couple of them go on to work for various branches of government, uh, NASA, oddly a pretty popular one, and places like this. So it's really good to get those messages, to know that you've really impacted somebody's life in a positive way, and that they're like trying to be an astronaut or go to space or something really cool like that because of little videos that you made years ago, you know, encouraging education. And those are really big, uplifting, like that, that's a really good feeling to get a, a message like that. The problem is they come in relatively infrequently. And while that feels great, I might get one of those a month versus the random barrage of nonsense you have to deal with every day. And because of human psychology, we are evolutionarily designed to focus on the negative because our brain sees it as a danger. So it's very difficult to maintain a positive attitude or to have an idea of the scale because most nice people just have nothing to say at all. They just don't engage like that. So it, it's easy to lose perspective uh, with the negativity on the internet. No matter who you are, what you're doing, or how positive your message is, it's very easy to get lost in mess. Yeah, it's always the vocal minority that you that they call it. And um, do you think that's just kind of an inevitability of what you do that, you know, there's just always going to be just, you know, cause like you said, going back to human psychology that like literally you could be the nicest, most positive person and someone's still going to have an issue with you. Oh yeah, absolutely. 100%. That's, that's an unavoidable fact. This episode is brought to you by cap 10 hats, high quality dad hats that donate 10% of their profits to ocean cleaning efforts. And now, as we're heading into the colder months, Cap10 is introducing new beanies in three colors to keep you warm for the winter. And as a thank you to Happy Hour listeners, you can use code HAPPY for 15% off your order. Go to cap10hats.ca, that's C-A-P-T-E-N hats.ca, 
and use code HAPPY, H-A-P-P-I, for 15% off your order. Once again, that's cap10hats.ca and use code HAPPY for 15% off. Join the movement and help save our oceans. Aside from all this external pressure and these, you know, negative trolls and this harassment, what kind of um, pressures do you put on yourself? Um, oh man, you're hitting me with the big questions, but this is the mental health podcast. <laughs> I know. We don't, uh, and we can keep it a little more topical if you'd like, but like, no, you know, no, you're, no, you're fine, already on some deep stuff, which I really appreciate. This is going to be a great episode. Okay. So this, this, you're, you're preying on my existential fears here, but as a content <laughs> creator, and I'm sure you know this too, every single platform that you're on has, that you are on has metrics. And you know that in order to be successful, you need to understand these metrics and what they're doing and what content works and doesn't. So as a consequence of that, you're always kind of studying your numbers and you're also pretty much always comparing yourself to others and their numbers and maybe trying to emulate a strategy or learn something. And it's one of those things where there's always a bigger fish that no matter how good you're doing or how good you're doing compared to where you were, there's going to be 10,000 people that are just crushing you numerically. And it's really hard to maintain self-confidence or a positive work attitude when you can just see how well everybody's doing and how you can or can't reach that. So there's pressures to do that. There's pressures to be, uh, for me personally, there's there's pressure to try to be a voice of positivity and reason, especially in the Call of Duty community. They're a little bit excitable. So it's very hard <laughs> yeah. to- Excitable is a good word for it. Yeah. To try to be the nice, rational, slow pace, not jumping on board with everything is evil kind of guy. And um, there's just always the pressure with this type of job of supporting yourself and your family because very selfishly, the income is quite unstable, as I'm sure you know. There are some months where I make essentially no money and I'm like, oh my God, I, retirement might be coming. And then the very next month, it's like, oh man, I should buy a car or maybe an investment property. And then the next month is like no money and there's no stability there. That's exactly how it is. Like literally you'll have like, you know, cause like, yeah, freelance hosting exact same way. I'll have a gig that'll pay like way over my normal day rate. And I'm like, that's it. I'm set for the month. And then the next month I'll only have like two gigs total. And I'll be like, oh my God, you know what? This is the end mm -hmm. for you. How do you sort of, because obviously it's, you know, you're having this flourishing career. It's still working out for you. How do you like squelch those, those, those feelings of anxiety? Um, I do it with probably what you would call toxic masculinity, then I have people that depend on me and I don't have the luxury of being anxious or getting nervous or failing that no matter what happens, no matter how the deck is stacked against me or where the content goes, that it's my responsibility, duty even to the people that I care about to make this work. And I'm just going to do that regardless. That's very interesting. I would I would slightly disagree. I don't know that I would call that toxic masculinity because like I've discussed this with my therapist that I have the same like I have this strong sense of like independence of like I will never, you know, I need to be able to like pay my own bills and I get so worried about financial stuff because I'm like I you know, I never want to have to ask someone for help if I'm like in a situation. So, I kind of feel like I have that exact same thing and then, you know, in my case it's obviously not coming from like a toxic masculinity standpoint, but that's why do you say that's 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 toxic masculinity? Uh, in my case, a little bit of it ties into the like man head of the household must provide okay. care for wife kind of that sort of thing. And it's mm -hmm. it, it's it's an easy 
thing for the audience to understand as well. Sometimes you have to use a phrase incorrectly because you know that most people will latch on and understand it quite easily. Sure. Yeah. Okay. That's very interesting. Um, overall, do you have anything that you like to do to manage your mental health? Like, you know, do you have any sort of um, meditation, yoga, you know, therapy, things like that? Um, I like to exercise. And that's that's what I do for my. That's been especially important during quarantine. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm I'm a big believer in exercise. I'm not one of those people that's like, oh my god, feel the burn, love it, cardio. Yeah, I honestly I hate going to the gym. I hate working out. So it, so in a way, it, it's taxing. But I understand the tremendous amount of benefits you get from it. Uh, not just the endorphins and chemicals in your brain, but your whole body and system runs better. And it also kind of helps keep me on schedule every single day to have a fixed. Thing. I, sometimes I treat the exercise as more of the job than my actual job, uh, but that is very therapeutic. And there's very few options for fun therapeutic things right now because my wife and I are stuck at home 24-7 kind of under lockdown, and that just really sucks. So how do you have any advice for anyone on like how they can get started? Because there are a lot of people I think that, you know, I'm the same way. I love exercising, but a lot of people kind of don't know, know how to get started or they don't really have that motivation or, or like you, you just said that you basically like hate cardio, but you, you, you force yourself to do it because you have to, how mm -hmm. do you, how do you frame that mindset? Like, how do you get into that mindset? Um, actually don't think about it a whole lot. I just see it as a, as a necessary thing, like taking out the trash or putting on pants today, or that um, there's a lot of, well, I don't want to wash the dishes ever in my life, but you know, you have to do it. Yeah. It's, it's part not, it's of not that. Is it that bad? No. <laughs> I mean, I like it, so I don't think it's that bad, but a lot of people I think would, would very much disagree. Um, overall, gonna, I want to back up though, to one of your yeah. points of how to get into exercise. I would tell people the best way to start is with really simple walking and really simple calisthenics, especially if you've never exercised before, you're not going to be able to jump in there and just do pull-ups and like advanced like compound squats and stuff. Just take 30 minutes a day to take a walk. And when the walk starts getting boring, maybe 50-50 jog and walk. And, you know, over time, you'll see if you like it or not, and you'll build up your strength pretty quickly. Yeah, definitely. Overall, would you say, do you consider yourself more of an introvert or an extrovert? Uh, I would say that I'm more extroverted. My extroverted options are very limited lately. And yeah. throughout my life, I usually do them in spurts. I usually am not super socially active here at home, but I was blessed with a lot of travel. So I was far more extroverted when traveling for gaming up and up, of course, until February when all that ended. Yeah. So how are you? So I always hear like, check on your extroverted friends. They're not okay. You know, obviously during quarantine, because like personally, I'm more of an introvert. So I'm actually like not doing too badly. Uh, just kind of keeping to myself during this time. But how are you? How are you coping? Poorly. Mm. <laughs> Probably the best word. It's been stressful. It's been annoying. It's uh, as, as I talked about in, in the video that lost me so many subs. The thing that really gets to me isn't necessarily that I can't go out and see my friends and do extroverted things because I under, like the exercise. I understand the necessity of social distancing right now and understand mm -hmm. the timeline and how it has to happen. But the thing that just burns my bacon is seeing so many people completely ignore any and all of this good advice and almost like they want to get COVID, almost like they want to get sick. Like if it were the Middle Ages, they would be licking rats and saying, I love my rats. Uh, and knowing that that stupidity 
increases the timeline of my suffering or discomfort is the most frustrating thing for me. And I also know that a lot of these people aren't going to learn anything because like realistically speaking, COVID is not the most deadly disease. A lot of them will either catch it and not know or honestly just not catch it. Not everybody's going to get the disease and they will live their lives. Masks aren't real. Viruses aren't real. F you. I'm going to the bar and the strip club and the theater and I'm going to live my life. And you see these people in stores. They're the kind of people that like to get close enough to breathe on you just to prove that they can. And they'll be fine. And it will just reinforce this entire set of stupid and antisocial beliefs that I will probably have to deal with many years from now. Yeah, it's kind of like who knows when this is going to end because of a lot of it feels like a lot of people are being very selfish with this disease. Um, and well, I appreciate you being so open to talking about some kind of difficult topics. Do you think that you are a little bit unique in that. Do you feel that there aren't too many other creators who are willing to really kind of get, you know, this deep and personal and in sort of an open manner? It's uncommon. Uh, it's some people do some creators do not not a lot though. Uh, it's, it's an uncommon thing. And I, I don't have a good understanding of why or how I choose to share personal things. It's just something that has often come naturally to me. Perhaps I'm an oversharer, which could be a flaw in a way. <laughs> do you? How do you keep yourself from um, having an emotional reaction, though? When you know, when you encounter these, these, this, this pushback from you being open, or when you're sharing political beliefs and you have trolls coming after you, is it is it hard to maintain composure and not just like shut these assholes down? Sometimes. Uh, most of the time it's very easy to ignore people to not, you know, not take the bait, to not think anything of it. Cause you're used to getting, you know, lots of mm, excited messages, <laughs> but you, but you know, as a creator that every now and then somebody will just hit that one perfect hot button that preys on an insecurity or a fear or some mistake that you made in the past or something, and it'll really burn your bacon. And I think that no matter how big or famous or how used to hate you get, there's always those little moments that people manage to sneak in and really kind of burn you up. And that's where you need to be the most careful to not respond to people out of anger. Uh, I've kind of gotten in trouble with that in the past. What I used to do as a sort of coping mechanism is about once a week, I would pick one idiot to quote tweet, kind of (laughs) burn on Twitter, just one moron to really set on fire and see how they like 500 angry messages. <laughs> and unfortunately, this this made me look like an unrational person. It made it, some of the insults and things I would say were not politically correct and were not well received in circles of friends or industry members. And it's ultimately a practice that I just decided to disavow because it was causing more harm than good. It's very It's very weird that so many people are willing to send and say nasty things your way in bulk, hundreds of tweets a day or yeah. whatever. And you speak back once and then all of a sudden you're the bully and you're sending your fans to attack people and whatever. And it's uh, it's like a wake up call for them, I think. But that's that's not the way to handle things. I despite being kind of grumpy and trolly, sometimes I always believe that positive communication, uh, finding common beliefs, trust, friend building, that kind of stuff, helping the people that hate you is the way to go. And I've had in I've had a lot of people not like me over time. And a lot of these people would like invite me to their podcast and this is not one of those (laughs) or their show or whatever. And it was kind of a bait. They wanted me to come on and make a fool of myself. And what I would do is I would take a big L and swallow whatever they had to say and reach out and try to make a friend and find some common ground. 
And in every single case, except for one, that worked splendidly. And I turned people that utterly hated me into friends. And that does it for episode 14 of Happy Hour featuring Drifter. Thank you so much as always for listening. Just a reminder that we will have bonus content coming soon. Drifter and I actually got into some even deeper, heavier topics that will be released later when the bonus content is ready. As a reminder, you can check out happyhour.io. That is H-A-P-P-I-H-O-U-R dot I-O. And enter your email address in the little box thing if you want to be notified when that bonus content is ready. Also, for those of you who were paying attention last week, I know I promised that Lottie Von Prague would be the guest on this week's episode. There were a few scheduling conflicts, so I was not able to record with her yet. That just goes to show you what happens when you plan something and announce it. Plans always go wrong. From now on, I'm not even going to tease or kind of announce who my guest is. You'll just have to be surprised each week. One last really, really cool thing that I did want to say is that this podcast recently surpassed a thousand listens. I'm so thrilled. Very, very excited about that. It might not be, you know, the most listens out of any podcast ever, obviously, but I'm pretty proud of it. It's it's a pretty cool milestone that um, I think is pretty cool. As always, I'm going to bug you again about following and rating us on those podcast platforms out there. It does us a huge favor. It helps us out a lot if you follow or rate this podcast, whatever platform you're listening on. So for instance, if you follow Happy Hour on Spotify, or if you give us a rating, if you rate us out of five stars on Apple Podcasts, that is something that really helps us out, helps the podcast get discovered and uh, makes us look really cool. Anyway, stay safe, stay happy, stay healthy, and I'll see you guys next time.